With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. One of my favourite films of the year has undoubtedly been Joker. We've already spoken to composer Hilda Godnotier about her score for the movie and now it's an utter delight to welcome director Todd Phillips back to soundtracking for a second sitting. Now there was much to discuss from Hilda's stunning contributions to the influence of Charlie Chaplin and the thorny issue of why he used a Gary Glitter cue. But before we get to all that, a word from our friends at Encoda, which is kind of like Spotify for musicians, or at least for those musicians that read sheet music. Encoda is an app containing a massive digital library of sheet music sourced directly from 100 leading publishers. It's got all the tools you'd expect to make playlists, mark up scores and play offline and can be used on your tablet, your mobile and desktop. So you can study and play your favourite works on one app for £9.99 a month. Now you've heard this before, I'm sure, but Encoda was designed to make a musician's life easier and more affordable. So much time, money and effort can be saved by consolidating all of your musical practice and study in one place. And Encoda, like music study and performance, is a very personal experience. Every taste is different and every favourite piece of yours can be assigned a unique memory or feeling. You can keep all those pieces and visit those memories and feelings wherever you wish on Encoda. Simplify all your study, practice and performing into one app with Encoda and explore a whole universe of music. Encoda, made by musicians for musicians. Try Encoda for free on your app store today. That's N-K-O-D-A. So just before we get to Todd, I should say there are a few spoilers in this episode as we talk about his Joker and Hilda's dark brooding score, characterised by this cue, Hiding in the Fridge. Welcome back to Soundtracking. Um, I have to say thanks because you were one of our very early guests, episode four. I remember. And here we are, 
160 odd episodes later. Amazing. A record breaking film later. Wow. And then, oh, let, so tell me, have you had uh, directors on twice? You must yeah, have. Yeah, we've had many. a couple. We've had uh, Ron Howard's been on twice. Oh, nice. Ben Wheatley, great British filmmaker, has uh-huh. been on a couple of times. Clint Mansell's been on a oh, few times. Cool. I know, um, oh, I'll tell you where we went. We went up to Cliff Martinez's house and uh-huh. I went and hung out with him for the day up Very in his cool. treetop kind of. Man cave. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we talked about you actually. It was yeah. it was brilliant. Yeah, um, but thanks for coming back and man alive! What an amazing film to deep dive into with Joker. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, because it was 2016 we spoke War Dogs and it must have been in your head then. You must have been already. It was, yeah. Where were you with it back then? Then just in my head figuring out what it could be. <laughs> no, really, like yeah. I had just thought of the idea. Maybe two weeks before that, at that point, when I when I saw you, and I was just kind of figuring out how we could get it through the system, quite yeah, frankly, yeah, yeah. you know, because it's you're going into a movie studio, and their crown jewels of any movie studio is their IP, you know, their intellectual property, things that people know and recognize. So to like take one of those jewels and say I'm going to go and you know turn it on its head and, and mess with it in, in a certain way I thought that was going to be a difficult task mm. but I was also getting really excited about it around yeah. that time Was there a particular thing that sparked that idea for you of going do you know what this is I really fancy trying this out Well quite frankly it was a little bit of a reaction to War Dogs and it was a little bit of a reaction to the state of the movie business you know I thought War Dogs we we made a a, a good little film but what you realize about the movie business is it takes more than that to cut through the fog. Yeah. And I had just been thinking about movies and like, wow, man, this business has changed. And then I was thinking about the movies I grew up on loving, whether they were, you know, the movies of Martin Scorsese, which get invoked a lot with, with Joker or Sidney Lumet, these great character studies in the seventies and early eighties. And I thought, boy, you know, it, you can't even get those movies made nowadays. E- even if you were to try to make uh, Network now, could that movie get made? Yeah, you know? well, look at Scorsese having to go to Netflix to get the right. Irishman. You know, right. Been, the idea that Martin Scorsese can't get a movie funded is insane. Right. So then I was like, well, maybe you could get one of those movies made nowadays if it took place in that world. And yeah. it was really that basic of an idea. And and that's that's sort of the genesis of it. Amazing. It's amazing as well when you look at all the different sort of journeys that it's taken and I mentioned to you last night this kind of beautiful circle of creativity and collaboration that started with your script which you gave to Hilda that she connected with and you know connected with her cello through Mm -hmm. the character through what you'd written giving you some music which then you played on set which then informed Joaquin's performance it's Mm -hmm. amazing to think that that yeah. That wonderful circle of it yeah. just constantly going around and feeding all those different people and right. those different things. Yeah. What was it about Hilda particularly that you thought she could really do something special with this? Or I want to see at least if she can. You know, I was turned on to Hilda by my music editor, Jason Ruder, who's who's been the music editor on my last bunch of movies. And he's just one of those guys who has amazing taste and, and knows more about music. He's somebody you should have on your show, quite frankly. He's amazing. Love to. And uh, he called me up. I was writing Joker and he goes, have you seen Sicario 2? 
And uh, I said, no, I had loved Sicario and my friend directed Sicario too. I just hadn't gotten to see it yet. It was in the theaters. And he goes, you go check it out. He goes, I think you're going to love this composer. And uh, and I did. And, and I did love the, the music <laughs> in it because it was so bold. stage in a way that I really liked and was something that I was thinking about in the music of Joker and mainly because Joker's a character study. I hadn't really done one bef a movie before or I hadn't done a movie before focusing on one character and when you do that everything else becomes a character whether it's Gotham, you know, in the production design or whether it's the music you know, music's important in every movie but in a character study with one person where he's in 99% of the shots the music literally is going to be another character. Mm -hmm. So I knew the music had to be bold. I had seen this Sicario too, going off of Jason's recommendation. And um, I thought, oh, she could be really interesting. So I, I emailed her and, um, and I said, hey, I have a script. Would you read this script? She called me back. She loved the script. She got it. And I said, you know, I want to try something different. Would you? I'd love to just hear you write music based on the script. Just whatever you're feeling, you wow. know, scenes, pick a couple scenes or, or just a, a vibe or a theme for Arthur or a theme for Joker, really just whatever you're feeling. And she did. And she started sending me stuff and we hired her, obviously. And um, and that so we had that music really early on, which was different for me than usual on a movie with the composer. Normally you're sending them shot scenes, but we had this music um, already, quote unquote, shot mm -hmm. before we made the movie.
so then we will use that music because like i said joaquin's in a room a lot alone or on set alone so why not play that music so he has something to act with or act against you know mm. um so it was really helpful to us and and it was a totally different experience that i've had working with composers and with music in general yeah when uh, when we spoke last time you said that you you normally have a lot of music around you when you're writing you know yeah you know? i always play music when we're writing did you have a did you have playlists for writing joker what was the kind of soundscape for the I writing probably the same that I don't remember what I said for War Dogs but I bet you it was the same which is Neil Young I just listened to Neil Young over and over I think Fiona over, Apple over. appeared a few times as well oh did it maybe it was or maybe it was just your, you know you were talking about your um, just wanting your daughter to be Fiona oh, Apple oh maybe she, that's what I <laughs> she grew up that yeah. makes sense um, but Neil Young is what I listen to all the time when I'm writing even if I'm just writing for myself I don't know why but then Scott Silver and I we would also listen to a lot of old time music because we thought outside of the Hilder stuff and we always just had this idea that the music in the movie would be old timey you know whether it's the Lawrence Welk thing or the Jimmy yeah. Durante version of Smile those yeah. kind of we liked that um, vibe that the, the mom was stuck in a time you know Arthur's mom yeah and that music kind of surrounded him. And even when he's alone at night watching television, he's watching an old movie. And even, you yeah. know, we go to Charlie Chaplin and it's an old movie. We like the idea that this that the movie have an old time equality. I don't even remember why yeah. we came up with that. It just felt right. Aching, smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by if you smile through your fear and sorrow. Smile, and maybe tomorrow you'll see the sun come shining through. For you Light up your face with gladness Hide every trace of sadness Although a tear May be ever so near That's the time You must keep on trying Smile What's the use of crying? You find that life is still worthwhile If you just smile You'll find that life's worthwhile If you just smile Well, I, I think because that image and the, almost that kind of silhouette of him, you know, with the clown, you know, when he's in the street with the big shoes and the sign yeah. and all that kind of thing, that does kind of stir up that kind of vaudeville thing. Do you yeah, know what I, I mean, mean of that that's kind of true. Thing? That's where the Charlie Chaplin came from for sure. We 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 started looking at old Charlie Chaplin films 
and thinking like, man, you know, there was a minute there where like, we should just make this a silent movie. I'm not kidding. Yeah. About that? Oh, <laughs> like, wow. wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. Like, you don't really need all this stuff. So then we started taking this silent movie approach to the movie. And I think that to answer my own thing is that is actually where that stuff started to come from that old timey stuff. Yeah. I didn't realize that Charlie Chaplin did a lot of his own composing for his films yeah. as well. He composed Smile. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. Like a one man show it's kind of unbelievable the guy was unbelievable yeah were you, are you were you a big uh, I'm enough of a fan yeah. but you know and I saw Downey's movie on Chaplin yeah. which is actually really um, overlooked I think it's a great character analysis yes, isn't it yeah. absolutely um, but yeah I mean Charlie Chaplin the fact that he wrote that music it's just jaw dropping My brain's just gone into kind of split mode of thinking about your film as a silent movie. And because of the performance, it being such a physical performance from Joaquin in terms of how he pulls you in with every shot you have Mm -hmm. of him, you can absolutely see that. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so too. Oh, mom, do that as the DVD extra. <laughs> Just be take out all the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. But you've got to be, I mean, the reaction that the film's had is, is extraordinary. And it must be the kind of the dream and that you're being, you know, applauded and rewarded by your contemporaries. But the audience, the film fans are loving it. And they're going back, you know, to see it again and again, because it is like, you kind of peel back layers the more you see it, like yeah. the fourth view, and you're kind of like, Jesus, I didn't see that before. Yeah. Just the riches of it, you kind of, it kind of it's the, the film that never stops giving kind oh, of thing, that's, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of the ambiguity of the movie. A lot of people trying to figure out that there must be the answers in there, which there really are. I mean, I do feel like we made the movie intentionally ambiguous because I think, quite frankly, art can be ambiguous, yeah. and oftentimes it's, it's better when it is. Yeah. But... We're not ambiguous. We have a very, very strong opinion. And when I say we, I mean Scott and I, who we wrote it, and Joaquin and I, we made it, and Jeff and I, who edited it, which is essentially the last, um, you know, uh, pass of a screenplay. We all have the same idea of what's real, what's not, what happened, what didn't. Is Arthur really the son of Thomas Wayne? All those things that people are kind of debating. Mm-hmm. You know, we have very clear answers to. Which you we don't want to say them. <laughs> yeah. Well, because we like the debate. Absolutely. And it's not because we want you to keep going, but it's just part of the fun of the movie. It's just like one of those things that, yeah. you know, one day in 10 years, I promise I'll answer it all. <laughs> but for Come now. Come back for episode like okay, 600. It would be more than that, right? Yeah, 700. <laughs> Well, yeah, um, yeah it, it, one day we would, we would, I, I, it's not that we don't have the answers is my point. It's just that I think um, part of the fun is the debate and people's discovery and people putting their own kind of um, interpretation on it. Well, I think it's like the best films are those ones, like you say, that are ambiguous, but also provocative as well. Right. 
Yeah. You know, kind of they want, you want those two things from kind of yeah. like come you come out and you're you're kind of debating or you're arguing with your friends about it or yeah. you no no it means that you know that's the best and that we expected like that kind of debate we expected what we didn't expect was the discourse leading up to the movie and you and I spoke about yeah. this a little last night I think but um that it felt took like a us vendetta. by surprise it did feel like absolutely uh, there was a target on either me or the movie I don't know and and um, so watch it yeah exactly and it was really difficult for us to respond to a lot of that stuff because we didn't want to give oxygen to some of these horrible things that they were invoking and also because it's hard to defend something that people haven't seen. Yeah. I mean, people were writing think pieces and saying in the think pieces, I haven't seen the movie. I don't plan on seeing the movie. I don't need to see the movie. Here's why it's dangerous. And then they would write a two-page think piece yeah. having not seen the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's bonkers. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's um but I've I I feel myself kind of talking about it even more so now than from when I first saw it. You know, this it's got it's got life. It's kind of yeah. and it really, you know, and it it speaks of now as well. It's what's so clever about how you've sort of framed his story in terms of it's a universal story of someone who's been, for me anyway, you know, he's been failed by so many things, he's been failed by his family, he's been failed by the system, he's been failed by society. None of those things are there to support and help him in a state that he's deep diving into this kind of pit. Mm-hmm. And I just think that no one's talking about those things in such a provocative or you know way that does actually make you talk about it right yeah i mean that was the that was the goal of the movie and so when people started dismissing it and being really reductive about it being like violence or a call to uh uh incel revolution things we never (laughs) knew what the hell they were doing we literally had to google that What, what, what do you mean we're like oh my god they're missing this movie's and you know i said this to you before but this movie's about um, childhood trauma. This movie's about lack of love. This movie's about the loss of empathy in society. This movie, you know, takes place in 1981, but we wrote it in 2016 and 2017. It's a mirror of what was going on, at least in the States. I yeah. mean, you could do the math and figure out what happened there, um, in 2016 and 2017 and still <laughs> happening. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I like when you said last night about, you were making, making oh yeah, the hangover right. Focus. Everybody goes, well, how'd you go from the Hangover <laughs> to um, uh, you know, Joker? And I go, well, in the Hangover movies, Barack Obama was president. <laughs> it was a party. That's yeah. a, that was what was in me then. Then all yeah. of a sudden, everything changes, and I go out and sit down and write Joker. Mm-hmm. And it's the movies are a reflection of our times for sure. I think how another way that, the music is definitely one of the ways, one of the many ways that you've the film's made timeless as well because you've chosen to not That's a good point. make the yeah. music of that time, so to speak, right. be that both with your needle drop choices right. and also in this this incredible kind of physical score that held that you really can't place no. of a era on it. That's no. a really yeah, that's a good point. And and we did do that intentionally, um, certainly with the needle drops. And Hilder's sound is just that's what her sound is. It's just something you couldn't put. Uh, oh, this is modern, or oh, this is old school. Yeah. Like it's its own thing. Yeah.
I love the fact that you know the cello is her instrument, and and she has to have a physical reaction to the piece she's creating to yeah. know that it's the right thing. Yeah. And hearing her talk about you know sitting down with her cello and finding those themes. Yeah. With this thing that she's I you know, know she's, wrestling with, with little just, girls because she's like a tiny little thing she's and like, she's got this giant cello. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, <laughs> and but the idea that she's, you know, she's embracing this thing for this sound for this guy who's probably never been embraced for, yes, you know, for his life, yeah, his entire life, sort of That's thing. It's true. amazing kind of thought. Have you listened to Hilda's albums? Uh, a few of them, yeah. yeah. Some of it's amazing, right? yeah, and her voice as well. The yeah. way that she uses her voice yeah. is. Um, is, is pretty extraordinary. I want to talk about a couple of specific cues, if that's all right. Yeah, that I kind of because you know straight in you have music that kind of really it tells you a lot. I think with that kind of piano score piece at the, oh, the beginning yeah. of the film, that Temptation Rag, which is just an old timey one of those songs yeah. that you'd see, you yeah. know, um, uh, and and it tells you a little bit about this clown life that he's living and sort of. Um, I like the sparseness of it. I like the guy on that old crappy piano yeah. playing. Uh, yeah, it's an immediate sort of um, tone setter and scene setter uh, for where he is in life. scene with the with the tear yeah that kind of you know he's putting his makeup on right before temptation yeah. rag starts yeah. that's the scene that goes into it and i don't know when you when you know when you've got it and that was obviously a take of that yeah scene and yeah was that one you know he did that did that one time that did tears? happen just that one wow. time yeah yeah bloody hell yeah but it's great because that's really one of the themes of the movie right is he's sitting there in the mirror the very first scene and he's sort of trying to figure out not so subtly, I guess, whether his life is a comedy or a tragedy. Mm. Um, and that is, you know, one of the things the movie is about. Yeah. And then that scene, this, so the, the piece is scored straight after he's beaten up in the street. Yes. And, you know, he, he's lying there. That became sort of like our Arthur theme. think one of the first things she sent to me although i don't know what she told you i don't remember anymore yeah i got a lot of music oh, from yeah, her yeah, and yeah. it's like all become one giant piece of score but that thing we played that cue a lot on set um all that walking through the city all that walking up the steps we were playing that you know the camera operator had it in his ear in a headphone um, we had it on set booming sometimes and wow. if we were looking at playback I'd have the sound guy play it behind it you know what I mean yeah we just liked that that particular um, cue really uh, was the anthem I would say of the of the movie of the set yeah 
What do you think it did? What, what did it do? People, what? I mean, what music does, right? I mean, music just sets a mood. Music just kind of bums you out, this thing. Yeah. It brought everyone down to earth in a way um, and into Arthur's headspace. I'm sure it helped Joaquin, although we never really spoke about it. It was just there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it does what music does. about it a little bit when we did that Q&A just before the, oh, yeah. um, the film came out. Right. And he talked about you playing, uh, you know, he talked specifically about you playing a cue and it just, and it really helped him find yeah. that particular, I think it was a bathroom scene, wasn't it? Yeah, that one was different. This, that yeah. one was particularly helpful. But I mean, you know, it's funny because on the movies I've done, even Hangover movies, even War Dogs, I always play music on the set. Never played score like that. Yeah. Just music because I hate when it's super quiet and yeah. I don't like, I feel on the spot when I'm going to talk to an actor and everybody's like, shh. And I, that's my opposite <laughs> yeah. of what I like. Yeah. So we always, if I say cut, music comes on. So it's a little bit messy and loud yeah. and I can have my own private conversation. <laughs> Nobody else can hear <laughs> Yeah, I just like never that. like that. That was really bad. Can you do it again? It's not even that. It's just, it's just, and it also, again, the music just makes it feel like yeah. a creative environment yeah. somehow. There's also like little moments like where he's laughing out of, when he's in the, the comedy club and he's laughing out of sync yeah. with everyone else. And yeah. I love that. And just in terms of he's he's not the same as everyone else he's, he's kind he, of, the way um, I told him he's left footed with the world you know he's out of step with the world yeah. he's, I, I should say he's out of step with the world he's left footed and um, in everything and and uh, the, the laugh is just one of those sort of indications that you know this poor guy who uh, <laughs> wants to be a comedian so bad and make people laugh but really all he is is a fucking clown that's Arthur <laughs> and also when he does the stand up and and I, I wanted to talk to you about what you shot for that particular scene because I love that moment where he he's trying to say something and he can't. Yeah, and and it's so it's so uncomfortable and it's you you, you feel from you want to just put words in his mouth yeah, for him. Right, but it's extra it's an extraordinary thing to watch. Yeah, and what was what was on the script for that and what kind of did you how did you play with that scene? In any way, or I think that was the script. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that we played with that too much. I, I'm having a hard time to remember, but no, that 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 felt like it was pretty much scripted. 
you know, that's one of those scenes where he's using his delusions to make himself feel better. You yeah. don't realize it when you're watching the movie for the first time. You realize, you think, okay, he got through his laughing fit and he's back on track and holy shit, this is working. Look, people are laughing and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. but we slip into that Jimmy Durante's version of Smile. Smile. And when you see the movie again or when you, or you realize, you know, an hour later or whatever, that that was actually his delusion and he's using it as a protection, you know, as a, as a device to sort of uh, protect his feelings. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's yeah. sad. Yeah. And it feels like there's a kind of sort of slight shift in the script, uh, in the score, sorry, once he's after the train in terms oh, of the yeah. score is kind yeah. of like... You know, it's yeah, well, we go hits. from, like, Arthur's theme more into Joker's theme. Everything in the movie is a slow burn. Joaquin's performance, the film's a slow burn, the script's a slow burn, but Hilder's music is also a slow burn. Mm. But, you know, if you watch it again or you've seen it two or three times, you, you start to notice, oh, yeah, she's she's changing it up. Mm -hmm. He's owning it more. It's not, um, it's not something that is surrounding him and uh, oppressive. It's now sort of coming out of him, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Because I felt you know? almost like to start, it was almost like the music that was it, like kind of it was it was in him, kind of sort of almost trapped, and then it was yeah. kind of trying to come out. So yeah, thing. yeah, that's almost one to way. Help to, him, help him it's hard to verbalize, yeah, but to me, bigger almost. Yeah, way, to yeah. me, it, the music in the beginning is crushing him down. And to me, the music towards the end is uplifting him. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Is the simplest way to do yeah. it. It's, Just, it's like emanating from him as opposed to it's crushing confidence. him. Confidence. Because you see it so brilliantly when he checks out, you know, and it's kind of what is it, uh, hear my name carnival sort of thing. Yeah, so that's kind of like yeah. that's you're like that. Oof. Yeah. 
Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, Murray's theme as well. That's life, and and kind of just choosing that for you know. Well, that's been- life is his sort of sign off, right? But the, yeah. the the theme to the show was something we must have done fifteen twenty versions of that, or yeah. uh, you know that Randy Poster, who's my music supervisor, worked with these guys in New York, we put this band together, Murray's band, and, yeah. and really tried to come up with what does that. What does a talk show from that time that isn't straight up Carson? It's yeah. more a little low rent Johnny Carson. Like, what does that sound like? We did a lot of versions of that before we came up with Murray's theme yeah. to, the, to the entrance of the show. had scripted that Murray had a sign off which was and remember you know that's life which is just sort of his statement and perfect (laughs) like like deal with it that's what we got to do in this world you know just take it and then of course that led into the band doing a instrumental version of of Sinatra's that's life Mm. and um and it becoming a thing in the movie yeah That version of Sending the Clowns as well. Yeah, wow. that's that's Sinatra's version. Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, we go right from That's Life yeah. to Sending the Clowns. Yeah. And I jokingly said in the sound mix, I go, 
does it feel to you guys like we just left the CD on and it's going to the next <laughs> song? Like, is that bad? <laughs> but then we realized to embrace it and it's cool. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's brilliant. And it's kind of, it's, and just Sinatra's voice fits so good yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, you're kind of like, it's, it gives you a bit of comfort. It does. Yeah. It's, it's maybe the, yeah, it's a really great point. It, it, it kind of, it's so familiar and such the best, one of the great voices of all time that it is. It's a little bit of a blanket over you after you've been through this unsettling uh, hell ride. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it rich? Are we a pair? Me here at last on the ground, you in midair. Send in the clowns Isn't it bliss Don't you approve One who keeps tearing around One who can't move Just when I'd stopped opening doors, finally knowing the one that I wanted was yours, making my entrance again with my usual flair. Sure of my lines No one is there I loved last night and I, I can't um, not mention it that you kind of brilliantly uh, addressed the whole Gary Glitter thing as well because that was like it's a cultural thing you have no idea Yeah, it just wasn't a thing in the States as crazy as that might sound here um, for us in the States, that Gary Glitter song, uh, we wrote it into the script. It was in every draft of the script. It was used in football stadiums. It was literally the put me in coach moment. It was the fourth quarter. We're down by yeah. eight points, you know, yeah, yeah, and we yeah. got to score this touchdown. That's how it was always been invoked in the United States. Yeah. And it wasn't until we were way further along in the process that that got brought to our attention. Um and, you know, obviously it's, it's a horrible thing, but, but I did make it clear last night, or you helped me. Gary Glitter is not making money from the soundtrack. He's not getting paid royalties. Yeah. Um, there's two other writers involved yeah. that own the rights to that song. That was important for us to discover before we actually finalized it all. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was surprised. When that all came out, I, that we just didn't know it was such a big thing in the States. I felt bad, honestly, 
but I think people understand that wasn't our intention. Absolutely. You know, and then you can argue, well, it also works because it's the music in Joker's head. It's the music the Joker hears. It's this ridiculous anthem that it's he hears. Perfect you know? choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, I mean, we never, you know, in fairness to, to Warner's, it never came to us like you have to change it. Nobody yeah, yeah, said yeah. that. They all knew the, that that wasn't the intention of the song. Yeah. So it never did once we found out, oh, there's no royalties being paid and all that sort of yeah, nonsense. It's fine. But yeah, it's nothing on this movie has been without controversy, it seems. <laughs> Every decision has it been met with. Thing. Well, it seems like appropriate for Joker. Quite yeah, frankly. exactly. It yeah. seems like if you're going to step into that whirlwind of that character, you're going to get, you're going to go down those kind of yeah. paths. You're going to find it funny when you have an easy ride next time. Right. <laughs> And um, before you go, I have to, because we were, this time last year, actually, we were speaking in de depth with Bradley Cooper. My boy. Uh, yeah, who talked a lot about you. Oh, did he? Um, and oh, I got your listen. support and He's my boy. And, and he, he did the same on this movie. I mean, you know, Bradley and I are partners in, uh, we have a little company at Warner Brothers, a little production deal. And everybody always goes, well, will you produce, uh, you know, because I was a producer in Star is Born, he's a producer on Joker. And what does that look like? How do you work together? Because it's not like I maybe I was on set of the Star Wars Born maybe for five days. He was maybe on set for five days of Joker. But it's really what we do is the work we do for each other is in the script process, reading 52 drafts of each other's screenplays. Wow. And in editing, you know, and coming into the editing room and really helping. And being an honest it. voice. And being an honest voice, yeah. yeah. So, <coughs> excuse me. So for me, um, it's been an inval invaluable partnership and he's also just one of the smartest guys I've ever met and just great instincts. Holy shit, that performance as well in A Star is Oh, I love it. Oh my God, it's yeah. so great. I mean, God, you must have done two hours with him. The music in that movie, you can go yeah, on forever. Yeah, I think he was sick of the sight of me by Christmas last year. Oh, because you did also Q&As too? Yeah, oh. same as you. You're going to be like right. that by this time tomorrow. No, I love it because <laughs> you're super smart and easy to talk to. Oh. And I can genuinely tell you love the movie. And I'm sure he felt the same with Stars Born. But there was so much uh, for you to talk about musically with that yeah, movie. Yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah, I mean, how many jobs does one man need on a film right. as well? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm really excited to see what's next. I don't know if you're having a break where you've got thoughts and stuff but I can't wait thank you and Thanks, thank Todd. you for having me again pleasure thank you that's life that's life that's what all the people say you're riding high in April shot down in May but I know I'm gonna change that tune when I'm back on top back on top in June Get their kicks Stomping on a dream But I don't let it Let it get me down Cause this fine old world It keeps spinning around I've been a puppet A pauper A pirate A poet A pawn and a king I've been up and down And over and out And I know one thing each time I find myself flat on my face, I pick myself up and get back in the race. That's life. That's life. And I can't deny it. Many times I thought of cutting out, but my heart won't buy it. 
to Joker that is of course That's Life by Frank Sinatra which seems as fitting a place as any to conclude this latest episode of Soundtracking with Mr Todd Phillips My huge thanks to Todd for taking the time to talk to us Joker will be out on home ends formats very soon but I know that it's still in a few cinemas so if you get the chance please do try and catch it at the cinema If you want to hear my previous conversation with Todd and indeed my chat with Hilda, head to edithbowman.com or your preferred podcast provider and be sure to subscribe, rate us and leave a comment whilst you're there. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do check out our YouTube channel when you get a minute too. Next up, actor, writer and director Mr Edward Norton on his film noir, Motherless Brooklyn. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 